Okay, let's just take, take a few moments to, to just beseech the Lord to, to uh, entrust our, our lives and our requests to Him. Father, this morning, as we come, you're the only one who can, who can help. All the help that we get has been orchestrated through your hands. Uh, sometimes you bring people to, to help us, and we appreciate that. But God, you are the one that answers our prayers. And so we come to you this morning with all the prayer requests, and, and they're not, it's not mentioned with details, but Lord, we lift up each of one of these folks who are, who are on our list of, of prayer requests. But Lord, we also want to lift up these folks that have been mentioned this morning, this morning, Eileen uh, I, I uh, Mildred with, uh, with a struggle that she has with her knees. Uh, Lord, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, we do know that, that, that doctors are capable people that you have blessed us with. And so we want to entrust uh, Mildred to you. We want to ask, Father, that you would touch her in a very powerful, powerful way. Uh, Father, we want to pray for Bill and, and his situation with, with his wife, Trudy, and, and, and the cancer and all the turmoil that is taking place right now in his life, the move that he has to make. Uh, Father, it's a lot. It's a lot to go through. But we know that you are the one who gives us the strength. And so we want to ask for an extra measure for Bill and for his wife. Father, we pray for Ruth, who's recovering from surgery or going to surgery, I'm not sure which. But Father, we want to lift Ruth up to you. And we want to ask again that you would just touch her body in a very powerful way that whatever happens, that she could come back and bear witness to you. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for the praise items. Uh, we thank you for, for Ryan and the job that he has received. Uh, Lord, may you uh, show him that this is a gift from you. And Lord, that he can trust you. Uh, Father, we also uh, want to lift up uh, our, our district superintendent position. Uh, we understand that, that as Earl leaves this position, that there will be someone who needs to take his place. And we know that leadership is important. So, Father, we want to ask and pray for you to answer prayer there and to install the person who will best lead the congregations, the conferences. And, and so we just lift this up to you. Father, today, too, we are thankful for the presence of your Holy Spirit and that your Spirit has come into our hearts that today we know you and we respond to you because of the work of the Spirit in us. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for sending the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and enabling us for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen. It is... Uh, Wonderful to have the Holy Spirit's presence. 
I'm just going to ask a question with regards to that. I know that there have been many people who have been saved in a very gentle way. That wasn't my experience. How many of you have felt the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit the day you were saved? In a very powerful way. That was my experience. Uh, when I made that commitment, you can ask my wife, I could have jumped on the bed all night. I couldn't sleep. In fact, <laughs> no, she wouldn't sleep either. But it, it was like I only needed a couple hours of sleep. We would just, we would just be overwhelmed by the presence of God and, and uh, reading the word and, and, and praying and gathering with people. It, it, it was a, for me, it was a real Pentecostal experience. Pentecostal? Pentecost experience. And today is the day of Pentecost. And, and, and that also brings back memories. It brings back memories for the disciples. It brings back memories for the early believers. But it also comes with a great honor. And that honor is not only to serve the Lord, but also to serve one another. A couple of years ago, I'm just going to stop here before I start because I just want to ask for the Lord's presence. Father, as I share this morning, I pray that you would speak and that we would hear. And that you would enable me to convey the message that you want us to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple of years ago, there were some friends of ours who came to visit us in the summer. And they don't normally, they're, they're pastors. And usually when they go for, on a vacation, they don't normally visit churches and, and people. They spend that time resting and alone. But they came to visit us. And as we were sitting around visiting and uh, had our meal together, uh, all of a sudden, his name was Bev. Uh, Bev, he just started to laugh. And, and as he was laughing, all of us stopped and we said, hey, hey, what is it? What is it? And he said, as he was laughing, his, his laughter suddenly turned to tears. He says, I can't talk at the moment. Just give me a few minutes. So a few minutes later, as he gathered himself, he said, this is normally a Mandy thing. And what he meant by that is, this is normally something that happens to his wife. It doesn't happen to him. But he went on to say that the Lord had just given him a word in our conversation. I can't remember what our conversation was about. But in that conversation, he says, the Lord said this to him. To serve the rich is a great honor. To serve the rich is a great honor. Now, we understood what he meant, and I want to explain that a little bit to you. You see, the world sees riches as tangible possessions. But in the kingdom of God, riches are the hearts 
of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To serve the rich, those who are in Christ, is a great honor. Paul saw serving the saints as a very honorable thing to do. And that ought to be our attitude as well. I want to read from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue, good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will do the work. But Paul looks at this whole scenario as he's thinking about the Philippians and he says, I thank my God. I thank my God every time I remember you. This morning, let's consider the words of Paul and let's try to apply them not only into our own personal lives but also into our lives corporately. I love that illustration this morning with the bike tire and all the different spokes because it really is that way. You know, you take out one or two spokes and that tire wobbles because it's dependent on all the other spokes. And in the church, it's the same thing. We rely upon one another. You take out one or two of these spokes or people in a church and there's a gap and the church begins to hurt. Let me ask you this. And I'm going to ask for, for some response. I, I hope that you don't mind. Uh, I, I, I believe that when we come to gather together to worship the Lord, this is not a, spectac uh, a, a, a spectator event. Uh, this is an involvement of the church. We worship together. We share together. We experience together. So I want to ask, is there a person, a friend, maybe a, a special group of friends or, or some kind of a team that you have come in contact with, that you just love, that you respect, that you appreciate in a very personal way? You don't have to answer yet. <laughs> just think about this for a moment or two. It could be a mentor. It could be a relative. It could be a prayer group, a study group. Some kind of, a, of an association that you have that, that is really profound, that stands out in your life. 
as you think about this person or this group of people, the question is this, how and why has this relationship developed? Anybody want to share? What was it that brought that together? The love, the working together, the interaction that was taking place. Anybody else? A common thread. There's something special, right? There, there, there's, there is this, this sense of, of unity. And, and it just... <laughs> but, it, but it works, right? I remember um, when I first got saved, I started attending a men's group at the church. It was a small group. There was three or four people to begin with. But there was such, it's hard to say, was it love? It was a connection. It was a connection because we shared very similar lives and stories, experiences, and it brought us together. And what we found is we found that there were other men that began to attend. And I think at one time we were a group of about 13 guys that could hug each other, love each other, share with each other. The result poured out even further than that because it began to involve our families. And we started meeting together in our homes. We started pouring over the scriptures and praying together and sharing together in a powerful way. When Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you, I think that was the kind of situation that Paul was in. Friendships and life experiences go together. Friendship and life experiences go together. According to the Unger's Dictionary, Paul, Paul planted the church at Philippians. The church was his baby. And he worked in that community, and the church grew. And it's interesting how that actually happened. You see, in Acts chapter 16, Paul had this vision at Troas. And it brought him to Philippi, where he began to preach and teach. It's where Lydia uh, became saved and was baptized. It was also where by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul exercised a demon from the slave woman. It is also where the result of all of this was that Paul and Silas were taken prisoners and they were flogged and they were thrown into prison. It's also the place where the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit created this earthquake and loosed the jail walls. But not to release Paul and Silas from jail, but instead 
so that the jailer could understand and receive the gospel and for him and his household to be baptized. Interesting thing is after this whole ordeal, Paul and Silas were accompanied by the city officials. They kind of had this parade as they left the city. It's phenomenal what took place there. And I think Paul had these memories in mind. When he thinks of the church at Philippi, he thinks of all that they had gone through together. It was a powerful, powerful experience. And Paul says with a heartfelt expression, I thank my God. But he doesn't stop there and he says, every time I remember you. Every time I remember you. I can imagine that Paul, as his thoughts reflected back and forth in different ministries, when the Philippians came to mind, that's what he did. We could ask this question, is this the way it is for us? That's what J. Duncan uh, writes in Precept Austin. He says, is that the way it is for us? The blessings of others in our lives, do they instinctively lead you to give thanks to God? He continues, he says, that kind of prayer needs to characterize our life attitude. If you don't instinctively give thanks to God, what does it say about you? And that is a powerful question. What does it say about you? I remember a lot of different folks in, in our lives who've had a great impact, whom we are thankful for time and time again. I, I can think of an incident back when I was a, still a child growing up. My sister is Down syndrome. She's a younger sister. And in our neighborhood, many of the parents, as I was growing up, discouraged their children from hanging out and playing with us. Some of them said some very hurtful things. And I know it didn't come. Today I know it didn't come from them. Because I don't think children think that way. But I also remember across the street, just down a few houses, there was another young man, young child growing up with me. His name was John Goodmanson. And his brother had a mental handicap. And so naturally, the two of us hung out together. We shared some things in common. Not only did we hang out together, we went to school together. We were in our elementary classes together until the day his family moved, and I've lost contact with him. But I would have to say I was, am thankful for my experience with him. Because if it wasn't for him, I don't know how I would have felt or what kind of support I would have had. 
but we had each other and we went through this together. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. I think that Paul had all these memories, these relationships, and his appreciation in mind when he wrote these scriptures. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, you sent me aid again and again. Paul's relationship didn't end there. Paul had a continuing relationship. Not only was he there to help them, they were there also to help him in his time of need. And it became a great source of joy and comfort to him. See, memories are a source of joy and comfort. Memories are a source of joy and comfort. In verse 4, Paul affirms this with his thoughts, writing, In all my prayers for all of you, in all my prayers for all of you, he didn't just pray for the Philippian church. Paul prayed for other churches as well. In Colossians, we read, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we read Paul writing, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. In 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter 2, Paul says, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. Indeed, Paul did pray for all the churches, every church that he ministered to. But there was always something special about the Philippian church. He says, I always pray with joy. And that's the key thing that, that, that Paul picks up here is that he prays for the Philippian church with joy. They had some hard times they've gone through. But he still prays with joy as he thinks about this church. Paul has other writings and other churches that he ministered to. But he doesn't pray in the same way for these other churches. Because, you see, all these other churches had difficult people. They had problems. They had heresies that were taking place. And he writes these churches with a troubled heart. With a troubled heart. But not the Philippian church. Here Paul expresses joy. Yes, they were his babies. He was the one who was instrumental in getting the church started. But now this church had grown up. They were mature. And they were helping Paul in his needs. And secondly, Paul also pays praise with a great joy because these folks have become Christ-like. If we read all the other writings of Paul, we find that he's always dealing with stuff. But in the book of Philippians, we only have one small sentence of a discrepancy between two ladies. The rest of it is really a joy book, a thankful book. These folks had become Christ-like. Paul says, become 
like me as I follow Christ. What Paul is saying in, in Scripture is he's saying, I am following Christ in the best possible way. Use me as an example. He doesn't say I'm perfect. He does make mistakes. But he says, take the good that you see me in me and act it out in your life. Imagine you have this great desire. This great desire to do something for the Lord. Some kind of ministry. To make a difference. You're not sure. You have this idea of going in this direction. But then all of a sudden you get this vision. A vision that leads you in another direction and opens up a new door for you. And as you go through that door, you all of a sudden find that you're meeting people, you're sharing your faith, your testimony. You find that people are responding to the gospel. You become good friends with the people that you meet and you help them and they help you. They support you where you are. How would you respond? If you were writing a letter to someone, how would you respond? What would you write in your letter? You see, this letter that you might write could be about your church. It could happen right here. It depends on the doors you see God opening for you. I believe that Sherry and I understand a little bit of Paul's heart. The very first church that we attended after we were saved, they accepted us as who we are. There wasn't any questions. They just embraced us and they cared for us and they loved us and, and they helped us grow in our faith and, and we had developed these wonderful relations. And I have to say today, I thank my God every time I remember the Beaumont Church. It was a powerful experience. Yes, things change. Things are always changing. But I remember the experience. And I'm thankful. Paul says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now, when we attended the Beaumont Church and God's call was for us in ministry, we left to go to Prairie Bible College. And it was in our third year, fourth year, just before we started our fourth year, we ran out of finances. We didn't know where to turn. Individuals in the church and the church came to our support and aid. We finished our Bible college. After that, we went out to do a church plant. Again, we had a number of individuals as well as the church support us in this ministry. 
They didn't just support us financially. They supported us by encouraging us and giving us strength. They also came and visited with us. Many of the folks from that, that church came out to our ministry and, and joined with us in our ministry. In fact, they even sent a team at one time to help us. And so we thank God for these relationships. Because you see, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about that church. It was about the kingdom of God. That's really what church is about. It's about the kingdom of God. And we need help in times of trouble. We also need times, help in times when things are going well. Um, James Matthew Berry made this statement. I thought it was really good. He says, God gave us a memory so that we might have roses in December. There are times when things get tough. But memories bring us back to a place where we see the roses. Where we're not hanging on to the thorns, but where we see the roses. We need good memories in difficult times. Of course, there are memories that can also be distressing. It could be some sin. It could be something that hurt. Something someone has done or has not done. Something that seems to be destroying us. Uh, just a little example of that. Back when I was in grade school, there was an incident that took place. But after 20 years of being out of school, I think it was 20, our 20 year high school reunion, uh, we got together and it's interesting because there I sat across the table from someone that I went to school with. And instantly, his name was Rob, instantly a memory came to mind. Not a good memory. A memory of guilt. You see, Rob was one of these guys, I don't know if they do that anymore, if they do it even in Penticton, but in Edmonton, they used to have what was called patrols at the street corners. The kids usually in grade six became patrols and they had one of these uh, reflective uh, vests that they put on and they had, were given a stop sign. And on my way home, Rob was at the stop sign. And of course, I came to the corner and he went, stop. So I stopped and there was no traffic, none. And I said, there's no traffic. I can go. He said, no, you have to stop until I say you can go. And he kept holding me back. And I said, there's no traffic. I'm going to go. No. And he really impeded my forward motion. Well, a little bit of impatience. I suddenly found my knee in his groin. <laughs> Moments later, he was running home, screaming and crying. Now, I felt pretty good at that time. <laughs> but there I sat across from Rob, and these memories came back, and I said, Rob, I said, I need to confess something. 
and I recalled the incident to him. And I said, I need to ask for your forgiveness. He says, I didn't even remember the moment. He couldn't recall it. But it wasn't for his sake. It was for my sake. Sometimes we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to confess. And we need to be able to move on. I like what Mark Hopeland said in one of his sermons. He said, most people live the first half of their life making the second half of their life miserable. Unforgiveness does that. Unforgiveness does that. But when we open up, when we share those troubled parts in our life, there's nothing anymore hidden. It's not hidden anymore. It has no hold on us. And we are free. Copeland follows this quote by saying, for memories to be a blessing to us, we must first make our efforts to become blessings to others. And we do. If we follow Paul's life story, we find that Paul had a lot of resentment against Christians. He sought them out. He had a lot of anger inside of him. But the moment that Paul, that Jesus changed Paul's life, all of that changed. And I'm sure that he was very apologetic for the things that he did. But it also opened a door for him. And instead of hating these people, it allowed him to love, to love these people and to spend his life working together with him. Paul built relationships. Why did Paul, or how did Paul build these relationships? Because God was the glue. God was the glue. If there's relationships that are held together in this church, it's God. It's God in between. He holds us together. And one of the things that we know about God is that God never fails. God never fails. God is always at work in us. As long as we are believing in him and trusting him, he is always at work in us. And I believe too, sometimes when we move away from God, God is still pursuing us. He still wants us to come into that intimate relationship. Paul writes in verse 5, he says, from the first day until now, from the first day until now, in Paul's relationship with these folks, there was this idea of communication. Paul communicated with people. But Paul also distributed. He gave everything that he had. And then there was the contribution that everybody put into the ministry. As we 
look to Paul's passage there, we find that it was not only his joy, but the greatest joy any pastor can have is when his church is walking in the footsteps of Jesus. The greatest joy is when he sees his congregation walking in the footsteps of Jesus. It's sort of like a farmer who works his fields, plants his crops, waits and is overjoyed when he sees it coming up, when he sees the, all of the, the heads of grain forming and filling up, and then the harvest. He is overjoyed because of what he has seen take place and the work that he has done. And so Paul goes on in this passage in verse 5 saying this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God was at work in Paul's ministry, but God is at work here as well. God has started a work here. And God is continuing a work here. And God is going to see this work come to completion. God never starts anything he doesn't finish. Do you believe that? God never starts anything he doesn't finish. Do we want examples? God created the earth in six days. He didn't stop there. No, he created man. He brought about the great flood. He prepared Noah for this flood. He saved his family. He chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and began a ministry that we now are blessed with. He has done it. He has done it all. Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 to 6 says, For he, that is God, chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption. You see, God had a plan for us, for mankind. Even before he created the world, he already knew he was going to create you. And he had a plan for you. That plan is to have communion with you. For you to be with him forever and ever. In Ephesians, or in, in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, God says, My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. In verse 11, he says, What I have said, that I will bring about, I have planned that I will do it. What I have planned, I will do. Paul himself heard the words of God through through uh, Ananias, Ananias. And he said, this man, this man is a chosen instrument of mine 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. God chose Paul, but he also chose you and I. We are his instruments. Did Paul have confidence when God chose him? I would think not. I would think that Paul was very fearful. But as we see Paul develop through scripture, we find that Paul in this letter in, in, in Philippians, that Paul lacks no confidence, or Paul does not lack any confidence. He has started a work and he is confident that it is not him who will do the work, but that God will work through him. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. There's things that we can do, but ultimately it rests on God's work. What has God made grow? The work of the gospel that began in each of the believers, the early believers, but also in this church. The work of the Holy Spirit was alive in each of those folks in the early church. He is alive today in the same way. The work of the cross, where Jesus took up all of the sins all of our sins. It is effective then and it is effective today in the same manner. The work of the sanctification process. Paul wasn't perfect. He learned a lot. Every one of us, as we come to Christ, there is a time of learning and understanding and growing. It is a sanctification process. It was at work in the church. Unity and love. Unity and love is what they shared. Unity and love is what we share in the church today. As we look at Paul and the relationships that he had, we find that Paul had this relationship with individuals but he also had this relationship with the whole church. And we find in the end that it was beautiful. This relationship is beautiful. It's heartwarming. It's inspirational. And it builds confidence. One of the things that we can note is that the Philippian church was powerful. It was joyful. It was effective. That's the kind of church we want to be. The cause was Christ. Never think that we can do this on our own. Remember that it is central. Jesus is central to every part of the ministry that we have. He is central to every part of this church. But one thing that we can know is that memories will pull us together. We can remember the past. We can celebrate the past. And it will propel us towards the mission that God has 
for the future. So I want to encourage you today to build on that. Build on that. Father, this morning we kind of go back into memory lane. And I'm sure for each of us, it brings up memories of our past. Some of the memories may not be the best. But along with that, we all have good memories. Memories that have been encouraging. Memories that have been inspiring. Memories that bring joy to our hearts. Memories that, that, that create in us this longing. This longing. To have these relationships. To have these opportunities. To see things, not necessarily repeated in the same way, but to experience the same kinds of wonderful memories that we had. So Father, this morning, as we just think about these things, may you work in our hearts in a very powerful way. May you inspire us. May you get us excited. May you fill us with your spirit that we may be effective for your kingdom and for your glory. May we have an impact not only in our families, but may we have an impact in our neighborhoods and in our community, in the town of Penticton. May people see that we too have been with the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.